Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Hmm. Or... Wow, a stabbing, my goodness. What in the world of fire? What else is gonna happen? Seems like there's a crisis on every corner. Seems like another war occurring, seems like another fire occurring, California in flames, the East Coast in a flood, the South in a brutal hurricane. Let's not even talk about the chaos in our own lives. Financial difficulties, family problems, failing grades, kids' issues. I mean, the list goes on and on. Last month, we learned during camp meeting that life is made up of choices. And choices to make great decisions, getting married, having a child, choosing to follow Jesus. And these make a paramount impact on our life, changing everything. But there are some things that happen to us, some things that we go through that we never chose. And they too have an unprecedented, paramount-like impact on us that changes everything. Life seems to be just chaos all the time. And sometimes I wonder, how are we going to get through this? And that's when I'm left with the reality of understanding two things. You see, God's people, number one, have gone through hardship for all of time. All of time. And the second reality I understand is that one day, inevitably, you will go through hardship too. But the question that we're left with is, how did they do it? How did they get through this? This series is all about how God's people have gone through the worst and made it on the other side. This morning we begin with faith. Next week we go into hope, and the week after, love. But we can't go any further this day in particularly without acknowledging that today absolutely is the anniversary of a horrible tragedy in our country. Not just our country though, the world. Because after 20 years of hardship and battle and struggle, we just ended the longest war in American history, 20 years. 2.2 trillion dollars later, Almost a quarter of a million people died 
some of which were servicemen and women. God blessed them and their families. But my eyes started to well up with tears in them when I saw one more statistic. The children that died. They didn't ask for it. They didn't want it. They just wanted to live their lives, go to school, learn to read, have fun with their friends and family. And so this morning, I ask you and implore you, would you remember not only our American service men and women around the world and those families who lost loved ones in the towers, but would you also remember the Middle East? And so as you see some scenes on the screen of a war-torn country and world here, take a moment to pray silently. Pray for them, pray for us, pray for the world. Do that now, please. 20 seconds, remembering each year that's passed. The word crisis itself is literally just that. It's crisis. It's the idea of something happening suddenly, quickly, without precedence, without planning, without even knowing. But I want to make three very clear acknowledgments before we go any further, and that is this. Number one, some crises we bring on ourselves. Some crises, there's no one else to blame. You can't use the Adam complex. Do you know what that is? Lord, it's that woman you gave me. It's the woman's fault. I remember being in college, and we happened to be filling out financial aid papers, and then Elaine and I were filling these out. Well, I should say I was filling them out, and we lost thousands of dollars because I didn't fill them out correctly. Did you catch how we wanted to put Elena on that? We, the proverbial we. Sometimes we bring the crisis. The young man who gets in a car accident looks at the officer who's talking to him. Young man, did you not see the car in front of you? Officer, the sun. The sun was in my eyes. It just got me, and it felt like something was pushing me. I don't know what. Young man, is that your cell phone in the seat there? Oh, officer, it is. It is. Then were you using that? Well, officer, you need to understand, I'm very good at multitasking. <laughs> we bring the crisis sometimes, and we don't want to take credit for the crisis we bring either. Secondly, though, have you ever heard of a man, force, power, fallen angel by the name of Satan? 
Second thing we need to acknowledge is that Satan is real. He exists. He wants to take you out, your family, this country, this nation, everything around us. He is desiring to corrupt. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober and vigilant, therefore, for Satan, your adversary, is like a roaring lion looking to whom he may devour. I remember my professor telling the story of how he was in the safaris and, and he was going through all kinds of places during this season of traveling and he would go on them regularly and one time they happened to come upon a lion. It was terrifying, it was scary. But sometimes we go about our life when we don't see the lion and we assume everything is fine and it just seems as though people are just bad people. No, 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 no. There is an adversary and if he can take you out, he will take you out. He knows your every move. He understands how you think. He's been studying you all your life. But you see, there's also kind of this last point. But before I can get to it, there's this in-between stage of realizing that sometimes the horrible things that happen in life, God uses. God uses the terrible tragedies sometimes in our existence what happened in Genesis chapter 50? There Joseph is recounting to his brothers who literally backstabbed him, placed him in the most horrible of situations, selling him off, lying about his death, and then they see each other face to face and the roles are very reversed. And he looks at them in the eyes and he says, what you intended for evil, God has used for good. I don't understand how that happens, but I clearly understand that even though Satan acts, even though I am foolish, God can redeem the worst of situations for his glory. Friend, I don't want you to look at yourself and your present circumstances of hopelessness that you might be in just right now or have walked through and wonder, God, could anything good come from this? Oh, yes, it can. And it will if, if. We're going to learn about what comes after the if. But there's a third acknowledgement I have to make, and that is this, that there is also the permissive will of God in the midst of evil and hardship and suffering. I do not understand how sometimes a good God who is all-powerful and able to step in and intervene in the face of evil, chooses not to at times. He is not the author of evil. He is not the author of crisis. He is not the author of sin. James is very clear, his brother. He wrote the very book that he talks about, this James chapter one. Do not even for a moment think that you are tempted by the Lord. For we are tempted from our own desires, evil as they are, which leads to death, our own selves. So don't give God the credit for evil. James goes on and says, brothers, don't be so deceived. Every perfect and good and holy and righteous gift comes from the Father above. He's trying to separate every image we have of blaming God and saying, no, 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 God is the one who gives you all the good things in life. He's not the one causing this. Imagine the complaints that the children of Israel poured out on God. Lord, why'd you take us out of Egypt? We had leeks, we had tomatoes, we had cucumbers. 
Some of my daughter's favorite food, by the way. And we had everything we needed here. We don't have water here. We don't have what we need for shelter here. Oh, really, you don't? You don't have everything you need here? You don't need me here? No. Okay, fine. See how you like it now? And the snakes come up and start biting them all over. Why? Because they did not understand that God was holding back the evil surrounding them. We don't even understand the snakes that are in position to get you and me every single day of our life. But Jesus says no. But when he says yes, I do not always understand. Those three acknowledgments I want to start off with this series. This morning we begin the topic of faith. Next week we move into hope and finally with love. But this morning we want to jump into this understanding of recognizing that crises are the great revealers of our character. Let me say that again. Crises are the great revealers of our character. Revealing who we have been preparing to become. Revealing who we have been preparing to come, become. You don't come to a crisis and all of a sudden it emerges, wow, you're a hero. Or wow, you're an absolute coward. No, that's all determined by the life you lived leading up to that very moment. I love how the British theologian, scholar, and author writes this. Listen to this quote by Brooke Westcott. He writes, great occasions do not make heroes or cowards. They simply unveil them to our eyes. Silently and imperceptibly, as we wake or sleep, we grow strong or weak. And at last, some crisis shows what we have become. I, I love Morris Venden's writing. A well-known character here, Bible scholar, professor in this community that passed some time ago. But he writes in his devotional book, Nothing to Fear, Devotions for the End Times. I know, I'm a good Adventist reading about the end times. The only one who laughed was my sister. I like that. That's good. <laughs> she gets my jokes. That's why. That's why. But in the book, he writes this one devotional section, and it's about this great storm that happens in a city, and there were two trees. And during the storm, it was raging. By the end of the storm, there were only, no, not two, but just one tree standing. And when the town went to go look at the tree, they looked at the tree, and my goodness, deep inside of it, it was hollow. The roots were decrepit. This was a tree that on the outside looked exactly like the other. It looked beautiful, big, and strong. And see, that's the thing. Crisis reveals sometimes the corruption of our hearts and soul. Reveals what has been there the whole time but reveals also the opportunity for God's grace to redeem that which is broken. As I believe in a God who takes the sapling of a seemingly almost dead tree and he grafts it into what is known as Israel and he says, you too may receive salvation. Even though everyone on the outside says you can't get in. I know what you did, I know who you are. 
I know your past. I, I understand the dumb things you've done, the choices you made to get to where you are, but Jesus, no, no, no. He doesn't care about that. He says, you want in? Yes, Lord, you're in. Come, come. My grace is sufficient for you. This series, friends, is about the fires, the crises, the things that we go through, and how God's people can still stand after the worst. Now, I'll tell you, you might stand without a leg, without an arm, without your eyes even. The reformers, those in the second and third and fourth century, in particular the believers, the early ones, man, they lost everything, some being thrown into boiling vats of water, of, of oil, some being thrown into pits with lions, some being burned at the stake. Now you and me have the opportunity likewise to make it through some of the worst. Whether you chose the worst or Satan brought it upon you, you can make it. So now we jump into 2,000 years ago. We jump into a crisis of Jesus' own. He was about to face his death something that his disciples didn't even anticipate. No, they did not only not anticipate, they never could have imagined he would die. You see, Jesus, to them, was someone who was about to take over the government. He was about to rule as the king. He was going to go through the gates. He was going to stand up and take over. Romans would leave. They would be banished out. And they, his disciples, would be his generals. We are going to rule. It's like the kid playing king on the hill and gets to the top. I rule. <laughs> well, you see, Jesus understood that that's the kind of people he had on his team. He understood it. One of them was a terrorist even, Judas, Judas the Zealot. And he was also a person who believed in violence. Peter believed in violence, took off the ear of one of the guards. They were going to take over. So when Jesus said, I'm going to die, you're going to abandon me, everyone will leave me, you will be wailing, but the world will be jumping for joy because I'm gone. What? Wait, what? And so we get to the chapter we're going to focus on, chapter 16 of John and verse 31. And it says there, do you now believe? Are you starting to get it? A crisis is going to occur. Do you finally understand there's not going to be a thousand years of peace to come, which some Christians actually believe. Before Jesus is going to come, there's going to be a thousand years of peace. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. Jesus looks at them, do you understand now? A time is coming, verse 32, and in fact now is when you will be scattered each to your own home and you will leave me all alone. Isn't it terrible that sometimes when you're in the worst of situations, you find out who your real friends are? You find out who sticks by, who ends up calling, who ends up dropping a, a package, who ends up cooking some food for you when you're crying and you're dealing with the issues. I remember our family dealt with a terrible loss some years ago, losing my father-in-law. And there were friends that came by, literally bought our plane tickets, literally made food for us, helped in every single way. We couldn't even think, but they were there. 
Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Wow. Jesus tells them, you guys are going to abandon me. My best friends will leave me. You're going to be scattered, and I will be alone by your eyes, but not really my own. My Father's there. And then he jumps into this. Listen to these words. I have told you these things so that in me you might have Wait a second. We can have peace in the storms of life? We can have peace in the crisis? When Jesus and his disciples were in the boat and they saw the waves raging, the the seas going nuts, and they were about to fall in the water, they could have peace? Mm, If, if they looked at him and not the storm. Because the text brings out the fact that they were looking at the waves They were looking at the boat trying to topple over. They were feeling the effects of the seas going crashing in the boat, but they could not seem to see Jesus until they finally noticed, wait, he's asleep, and someone ran to him. And that's what it takes for you and me to do likewise. It takes you and I to have peace when we recognize finally that the presence of God is with you in it. The peace doesn't emerge when you look at other people around you. Now, I'll tell you, sometimes it's good to look at certain people around you when you're in a bad situation. You see some guys about to get you and attack you and you're next to your friend who's a big buff wrestler. Yeah, you look at him and you say, bro, it's your turn. (laughs) But the thing is, there are some situations where your soul is crumbling. The crises around you cannot be handled by a mere human being, more money in the bank account or anything. The difference between the rich and the poor is that the rich know that money can't buy happiness or heal the emotional wounds of life. You need Jesus, and you need to look at him in the midst of your storm. Not the problems to the left or the right, but to him. Him who has created you, him who has known you from the beginning, who knew you in your mother's womb. And the one who says, When you look at me, you will have peace. That is the only way you will have the presence of mind to feel peace when you look at him and not the storm. But he doesn't leave us there. He also then tells us this. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Other versions say tribulation, affliction, burdens, troubles, pressure. Anyone feel pressure? Some of you have high blood pressure. (laughs) I'm going to go at my physical soon, and I really am hoping I don't have high blood pressure. COVID has done a number on me. But the thing is, Jesus gives you a promise here. Now, it's a strange promise to some of us. Where, well, you hear the pastor say, trust in the promises of God. This promise? That troubles are coming? That troubles are going to be in my life? Yes, absolutely. As believers, we have amnesia a lot of times when bad things happen, don't we? How could this be happening to me? God, where are you? 
Some of us get pathetic, man. We start drooling and crying and we keep blaming the Lord and it's just your fault, you did it. And I'm not trying to placate this because hardship is really bad. And sometimes the questions do come out, but we suffer with amnesia, forgetting. Jesus didn't plan for you and me to go through rose fields and smelling things nicely every moment of our day. He promised trouble. Not that he was going to do, but that would just simply happen in life. But he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave you in the trouble. The promise is only halfway there. You're going to have trouble, but guess what? Guess what? Take heart. I have overcome the world. This word, take heart, in the Greek, it's a beautiful word. It literally is an imperative case, meaning it is a command to God's people to take heart. Other translations say, be of good cheer, have courage. And every time that word is used, in most cases in the New Testament, it's attached to another word, faith. Be of good cheer, take heart, lift up, and have faith. Believe. You remember the story of the blind man who cried out, Jesus! Jesus! And he's making a complete disturbance. We were at dinner and our two-year-old, she was making a complete disturbance. We couldn't have a very good conversation. And I wanted to shush her. It just wasn't working. Well, that's the same thing with this blind man. He was making such a disturbance, no one could shush him. What do you want, old man? Jesus! They take him over to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and he says, what do you want? I want to be healed. Your faith has made you well. The woman who was bleeding for over 12 years, Jesus looks back and says, who touched me? She knows she did, and he looks at her, and he says, it's your faith that has healed you. Friend, when Jesus says, take courage, take heart, he's commanding you and me to attach that to faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and 6 says, it is impossible without faith to please God. And it is impossible without faith to see the miracles, the workings, the blessings that God has for you and me. When we ask God requests in fear, it's as if you're crazy. God's looking down, and he's like, wait, do you want me to act in your life or you don't want me to act in your life? Well, God, if you might, if you consider this, ask in faith, boldly come before the throne of grace. Make your petitions known. Listen, you can leave the sovereign will of God to him, but you and I, we are called to come before him boldly with faith. And he also tells us this. You can have this kind of faith because I have overcome. You can have this kind of faith because it's faith in me, not in your circumstances. The faith doesn't come when you continue to open up your app. Dang, it still says negative in the bank account, honey. No, it's when you continue to look to Jesus and find a way and solution that he provides for yourself. And this is not an easy journey, I'll promise you. 
It is not an easy journey to walk upon the faith and grace of Christ. I remember the fabled story, or maybe true, of a mountain climber who ended up getting to a position that he never imagined he would be in. He had forgotten half of his rope up on the mountain, and he got to the end of it in the midst of a storm. The wind was blowing hard. The snow was coming down. I know it doesn't seem real reality here in California, but it did happen. And darkness all around him. There, clinging to the very last of his rope, and he hears this strange voice says, let go. Let go. No, let go. Let go. Let go. No. Next morning, he was found frozen to the end of his rope, 10 feet from the bottom. You see, sometimes when we talk about faith, it's this notion of going into the blind darkness. But you see, if you are a believer... There is something you have to understand when we talk about faith and blindness and not seeing the end of the road. Because for me, when I step into the darkness, I know who's going to catch me. I may get a tumble. I may get some scrapes. I may not make it how I want. But I promise you there's a person who's on the other side, and his name is Jesus Christ. You know the famed poem, The, the Footsteps in the Sand, the poem goes, there I was in the midst of my journey in life, and there you were walking with me in the sand, my footprints by yours. But then when I came into the moment of my trouble, my chaos, it seemed as though you disappeared. Oh, no, my child, I did not. For when you were in your trouble, it was then, then, that I drew you up and carried you. And so it was my footsteps that you saw as I carried you along. You see, when you rest in faith, you step into the reality that there is a Savior who is there, and he will catch us. So when we talk about how do we get through this journey in chaos, step number one, you have to have faith in him who created you and built you and knows you. But what about when we make those mistakes? We're that hollowed out log that fell over the tree that thought it could stand the storm, the, the tree that everyone on the outside said, wow, they're going to make it. You hear about your friends and you see them on Instagram and Facebook and wow, everything seems fine and then you find out they got a divorce? This person lost their job because they did what? What do you do then? Sometimes in the worst of situations when we cause them, that's when we also can be a testimony of the gospel to the believing and unbelieving world. How you get out of your chaos is just as important how you got into it. Particularly when you caused it. You know, my daughter, she is very perceptive. I mean, she knows certain things that I couldn't believe it. She knows when we're leaving to go for work. She sees us jingling the keys. Keys? Keys, Petra says. Keys? She starts to get this kind of anxious feeling about her. She's moving around really quickly. Tata, no work. No work, Tata. No work, Mama. <laughs> she understands. She perceives. The unbelieving and believing world also perceive how you and I act in the midst of our crisis. 
One author said it, don't make the crisis worse by becoming the crisis. You know those people who lose everything, lose their marbles, they get impatient, they start yelling, they get defensive, they blame everyone in the world, they just don't want to take the blame. They don't understand the idea of extreme ownership and apologizing. Yes, it means walking by faith to get through the crisis, but it also means walking by apologizing. It also means making wrongs right. And the world will watch that, and they will learn from you. Talk about my daughter one more time. She is learning how to use the restroom. And we thought we were doing good. We got her this toilet, and it was awesome. Okay, Petra, if you go in here, you get a candy. Candy, okay. And she goes, and she sits there, and she sits there, and sits there. Nothing comes out. Okay, candy. No, you got to go if you're going to get the candy. Almost. Okay. And it goes back, and she did it. Yeah, we're all excited. And for about a week there, it was going great. Everything was flowing fine into the right places. You got that one. Okay, good, good. And then there came a moment where she just stopped. And it was kind of like, I can go anywhere around the house. <laughs> and I got angry. I was tired of the fifth spill. I was tired of the stinky brown stuff. I was tired of this, and I just... Petra, what's wrong with you, child? And I got angry, and I yelled at her, and I yelled at her, and I took her and put her in the bathtub, and I washed her with anger seething all over me. Some of you parents completely understand, and you're not saying, oh, I completely get it. Those kids, sometimes they'll get you. And that evening, I... I'm putting on her diapers, I'm putting on her clothes and looking at her and I'm just, how can I have yelled at her like that? Why did I do that? And I just see her smiling at me and I tuck her into the bed and I look at her and I say, Petra, Daddy is so sorry. Daddy is so sorry. Here you're struggling through your own crisis to figure out how things work in life and I am adding to your pain. And she looks at me and she says, nothing. She smiles and with her two and a half year old hands, she gives me a hug and she starts to get teary-eyed because she understood daddy had done something wrong. And he apologized. You walk by faith through your crisis, but you also apologize by faith through your crisis. And you work through that with people, and you make it to the other side, not because it's easy, but because it's the right thing to do as a believer. The world does not believe in Christianity many a times because we don't fulfill the word that Jesus says, by your love they will know me. And by your bitterness and anger and continued resentment and your continued unfaithfulness, they will also not know me. So this morning, 
I encourage you, I implore you, friend, walk by faith and not by sight in what you understand, but walk in him. Walk in his faith in your life. We can't do it on our own. We can't. As good as we might feel like we look, as padded as our bank accounts might be, as nice as our car, our house, and our career, and the diploma degree, as everything is nice, the inevitable is a crisis will occur, and none of that will matter. And what will matter is, did you prepare your life for the inevitable crisis of the world? I want to leave you with this quote from a good friend of mine named Ellen White. She wrote in a book called Ministry of Healing this. I want to just leave with you. In the darkest days when appearances seem most forbidding, have faith in God. He is working out his will, doing all things well in behalf of his people. The strength of those who love and serve him will be renewed day by day and never forget our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which you know nothing. Woo! The woman was on fire. <laughs> this morning, I don't want you to be like so many. When the crisis comes that pushes us into that frame of mind where we give up, we give in to sin, and we lash out on others. But I want you to have unshakable faith like that of the reformers, like that of those who understood how you stand through crisis. So what does it look like practically? It looks like steadiness. It looks like patience. It looks like being committed to a faithful course. As the hymn is sung that's coming up now, I want you to pay attention to these words. The Savior is waiting for you to enter into your heart. Why don't you let him in? There's nothing in this world to keep you and him apart, but what is your answer to him? Friend, what is your answer? Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.